0: We are continuing our summer series through the book of Psalms. Today we're going to be looking at Psalm 63. And Psalm 63 is a psalm of David, and the title of the psalm gives us the context when King David wrote the psalm. The title says, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now, no specific historical event is mentioned here, but commentators, agree that there are two periods in David's life that this could have happened when he's in the wilderness of Judah. First, early in his life, before he was king, when David was in the wilderness, fleeing from King Saul, who wanted to kill him. Now, commentators say that this is not the case because David refers to himself as the king in verse 11. The other period is later in his life, when he was already king and he was fleeing from his own son, Absalom. Actually, Psalm 3 is a psalm that King David wrote when he was fleeing from his son, Absalom. It's there in the title. And perhaps this could be another psalm that is speaking to the same experience. And the majority of commentators believe this is the actual context of the psalm. David is in the wilderness fleeing from his own son, Absalom. But regardless of the specific historical context or event that led David to compose this psalm, we know that David is in the wilderness. And wilderness experience in the scriptures is a time of testing for the people of God. Think of the wandering Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years during the Exodus. Think of the experience of the nation of Israel in exile in Babylon for 70 years. That was a wilderness experience. Think of Jesus himself being tempted in the wilderness for 40 days by the devil. So we know that part of the Christian life is experiencing the wilderness, part of the Christian life is going through trials and tribulations, experiencing suffering, pain and disease and you name it. And these experiences in our Christian life many times can seem overwhelming and exhausting. And the question that we must ask as we look into this psalm is how does David respond to being? in the wilderness? How should we respond as believers as we endure our own wilderness experience during our lives? Listen to these words of commentator Matthew Henry. This psalm has in it as much of warmth, as lively devotion as any of David's psalms in so little compass. It's only 11 verses. As the sweetest of Paul's epistles, were those that bore date out of a prison when he was in prison. So some of the sweetest of David's psalms were those that were penned, as this was, in the wilderness. Commentator Derek Kidner says, There may be other psalms that equal this outpouring of devotion, few, if any, that surpass it. David responds with devotion to God. And as the King James Version beautifully put it, that David was the sweet psalmist of Israel. And David penned this beautiful meditation where he reveals his heart that he's longing for God. He penned this beautiful meditation on who God is and on his promises and in God's steadfast love for him. So let us look into this beautiful psalm, Psalm 63. So here now God's holy inerrant word, beginning with the title. A Psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is the word of the Lord. Let God imprint these truths upon our hearts. So, we're going to be looking at this psalm. I, I thought about maybe making four headings since we had short announcements, but it's only going to be three headings. And we're going to be looking at this psalm under the three headings in forms of questions. Question number one Are you longing for God in the wilderness? Are you longing for God? Second question Are you finding satisfaction in God while in the wilderness? And the last question, are you finding protection in God in the wilderness? So first question, are you longing for God in the wilderness? Let us read these words of King David. Verse 1, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faint for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. In this opening verse and declaration from King David we see how much David is longing for God in the wilderness. Over and over in the book of Psalms we see the psalmist longing for God, longing to be in God's presence. And this first verse of Psalm 63 is very similar and reminiscent of a few other psalms, but especially the first couple of verses of Psalm 42 which is a psalm of the sons of Korah. Look at these words from Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you. O God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I I come and appear before God? David is in the wilderness and he's longing for God he's earnestly seeking God he's desiring God he's away from Jerusalem and the sanctuary and he's longing to be in God's presence he says in verse 1 in the beginning "O oh God you are my God earnestly I seek you and this word earnestly is also translated as early in some other versions and early or earnestly has not only the sense of being early in the morning, perhaps David is in the wilderness and he's rising up early in the morning and he's meditating on God, but also it has a sense of being earnest and eager. So this word actually describes someone who is truly longing for God now. This is not a, a casual longing. This is not a, a casual search for God, of looking for God. David has his holy desires. Look at these words from Charles Spurgeon. Holy desires are among the most powerful influences that stir our inner nature. Communion with God is so sweet that the chill of the morning is forgotten and the luxury of the couch is despised. The morning is the time for dew and freshness, and the psalmist consecrates it to prayer and devout fellowship. The best of men have been betimes on their knees. And we see that David's entire being here, his inner nature, he's longing for God. He's longing to have communion with God. Read again on verse 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faint for you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh or my body faint for you. Soul and body, in other words, David is saying that his entire being, his entire person, soul and body is thirsting for God, is painting for God, is fainting for God. And look at the vivid image that he uses at the end of verse 1. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He's using this image of thirsting for God. Now remember, he's in the wilderness and he might be literally uh, thirsty. But the mention of the word soul here means that this is a spiritual thirst. This vivid imagery reveals that David is intensely longing for God. Let me ask you a question. How would you describe your thirst right now? How would you describe your longing for God? How would you describe your communion with God? We know that it is only... By having communion with God that our our thirst can be quenched. But without communion with God, our life feels like it is a desert. Like it is a, a dry and weary land where there is no water. Listen to these words from Pastor Richard Phillips. Our problem is that without communion with God, we are lifeless, barren, and dissatisfied. Alienated from God, we find life to be like the Judean desert. Weary and dry. And brothers and sisters, dear friends, we know that our thirst can only be quenched only through Jesus Christ. It's only through Jesus Christ that we can have communion with God. Jesus is the only one who can quench our spiritual thirst. Listen to these words of Jesus in John chapter 4. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then later on in John 7, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If you anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Is your soul thirsting? for God? Is your soul thirsting for the triune God? Are you longing for God? Martin Lloyd-Jones observes that the desire for an intimate knowledge of God the Father is the biggest and most important thing in lives, in the life of a Christian. It is of greater importance to them than anything else whatsoever. And David is longing for this intimate relationship with God. And he makes this beautiful declaration in this opening verse. John Chrysostom, the great preacher of the early church, he said, The spirit and soul of the whole book of Psalms, all 150 psalms, the spirit and soul of the whole book of Psalms is contracted into this Psalm 63 and its opening declaration david has this strong longing and desire for god and david is longing to be in god's presence in the sanctuary look at me on verse 2 so i have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory remember that david is away from the sanctuary he's in the wilderness he's away from the temple in jerusalem and like the psalmist in psalm 42 he is remembering what worship was like when he was in the sanctuary, and David is longing to be there. And he's meditating on God. He's communion with God. He is beholding God's power and glory, because David knows that even if his strength and even if his soul and flesh fail, God will always be the strength of his heart. Look at what King David proclaims in Psalm 73. 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. David is longing for God, and he's beholding God's power and glory. David had witnessed it powerful and glorious things that the Lord had done in his life. And in this longing for God, his desiring God, we see David's longing. We also see David's satisfaction. Are you finding satisfaction in God while in the wilderness? David finds satisfaction in God's love for him, God's love for his people. Look with me on verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life. What a remarkable statement. My lips will praise you. And steadfast love in Hebrew is just one word, is the the word hesed. and in our English Bibles this word is variously translated as unfailing love, as loving kindness, as steadfast love. If you have an ESV Bible, you can be certain that every time you see the word steadfast love is actually the Hebrew word Hasid. And look at this definition from the Bible dictionary. It's one of the, God's great attributes in all scripture. Unfailing love or steadfast love or loving kindness, it is the occasional translation of the Hebrew chesed. And the Hebrew word chesed is the Old Testament's highest expression for love. It is variously called God's election, covenant keeping, or steadfast love. It is a love that remains constant regardless of the circumstances. All renderings in English only approximate the richness of the original, it contains the idea of devotion, the idea of loyalty, the idea of covenant faithfulness. God's love, as one commentator put it, is the central theological idea of the psalm. Think about it. Our circumstances change. Our life is constantly changing, but we can be certain dear friends, that God's love, God's love for you, God's love for His people, remains constant forever. Heaven and Eve, sin in the garden. The Israelites rebelled in the wilderness. King David committed adultery. Peter denied the Lord three times. But God's hesed for His people, God's faithfulness to His covenant promises, His love for his people remains constant. His love does not change. His love will never change. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness through all generations. Listen to these words of James Boyce. God's love is steady and unchangeable. Which is why it is better than even the best thing in life. Which is life itself. The greatest gift that we have is our very lives. But life itself can be lost. Even though we value it and try to protect it at all costs, however, the covenant love of God can never be lost. Are you finding satisfaction in God's love for you, dear Christian? That in love he predestined you for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ? And that there's absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God. As Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, no trials, tribulations, temptations, or any wilderness experience will ever be able to separate us from the love of Christ. And David is meditating on God's steadfast love for him, his eternal love, and he's finding satisfaction in God's love. Look at me on verse 5. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Later on he says that he's going to sing for joy. So how can David be praising God in such a difficult time? How can David say that he's going to sing for joy, that he's going to be satisfied as with with fat and, and rich food? And I love fat and rich food. I love a barbecue like you know. But how can David say that This at this moment, listen to these words of Helen Ross, he may not at the moment be enjoying all the benefits of God's loyal love, but he will praise. Only the true believer can praise God when he's not experiencing God's blessings all the time. Do we praise God when we are in the wilderness? Do we praise when we are not experiencing God's blessings all the time, or at least it seems so? But even in the wilderness, brothers and sisters, we see that David is finding satisfaction in God and he's praising God. He's also remembering God. As he finds satisfaction, he remembers. Look at me on verse 6. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. The word remember here is actually a word for meditation as well. And David Is meditating on God, but listen closely, in the watches of the night. And the Jews, like the the Greek and the Romans, they divided the night into three military watches, where they had sentinels uh, that remained on duty. So the first watch was from sunset to 10 p.m., the first watch of the night. The second watch of the night was from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., and the last watch of the night, or the morning watch, was from 2 a.m. to sunrise. So pay attention to what David is saying here, is that many times he's spending the entire night, in all the watches of the night, meditating on God. Have you been there? Thinking about something that keeps you up at night, because your mind is racing and you have a myriad of thoughts and you can't go to sleep? I think I have shared with many of you before, that I struggled with panic attacks for a long time. And I remember how it was thinking, and my mind is racing, and all the fears, and that something was keeping me up at night, and I couldn't go to sleep. Have you been there? Your mind is racing, your thoughts are racing, and it's hard even to go to sleep. What do we do? What do we do when, what does David do when he's up during the watches of the night? He's remembering. He's remembering. He's remembering who God is and the things that God had done for him. Look over verse 7. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Interestingly enough, David does not pray for God to deliver him from his present circumstances. Listen to this note from Ellen Ross. The amazing thing about Psalm 63 is that there's no petition proper whatsoever. There is longing. There is gladness. There is praise. There is communion. But no request. Now, think about it. It would be legitimate for, for David, for King David, to, to bring a request to God as he does in many other Psalms. As we see throughout the scriptures. But he does not do it here. Instead, he remembers He longs, he meditates, he praises, and he sings. You have been my help. David is remembering God's faithfulness and love to him in the past. Now, we don't know what he's remembering. Maybe he's remembering the time when he slayed Goliath. Maybe he's remembering the different occasions where he escaped the pursuit of King Saul that that wanted to kill him. Maybe he's remembering the time where he fell into the hands of the Philistines and he pretended he was insane. Actually, that's one of my favorite stories in the scriptures. This Philistine king arrests David. They get David. And then to get out of it, he pretends he's insane. He pretends he's crazy. and He starts drooling from his mouth. And then the king looks at David. He's like, I already have enough crazy people around me. I don't need another crazy person. And he sends David away. And David escapes from possibly death. Maybe he's remembering this story. Maybe he's remembering the time that God forgave him when he fell into adultery. Dear Christians, remember. Remember. Remember how God has been faithful to you. Think back to the entirety of your life. And remember. And when we remember the great things that the Lord has done for us, we're gonna find satisfaction in God. And in this situation, David's only hope is to cling to God. Look at verse 8. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. My soul clings to you. The word cling here means to stick, as if you're like glued to something. Think about the things that David could have chosen to cling to. I mean, he had a powerful army. Maybe his army could have come and rescued him in the wilderness. He himself was a great and mighty warrior. He could have clung to just nothing. I just cling to nothing. I just give up. You know, I remember uh, my life when I was uh, not a, a Christian and I was uh, struggling with uh, panic attacks and many other issues. I still have lots of issues, but but before coming to faith in Christ, I had no one to cling to. No one to cling to. I, I remember clearly, I struggled with panic attacks when I was not a Christian. And I struggled with panic attacks being a Christian. But I can tell you, when I was not a Christian, I was desperate. I had no one to cling to. I had no scriptures to pray to. I had no one to talk to. I had no one to to share my burden and, and, and cling to. And then I came to faith in Christ. And then I learned to cling to God. To remember God's promises for me. To remember God's love for me night and day. We as Christians, we can always cling to God. We can always cling to Christ. And David is clinging to God. He's trusting in God's love for him. He's trusting in who God is and what he has promised. Listen to these words again from Alan Ross. The sentence, clinging to you, expresses his loyalty to God. In all his distress and deprivation in life, he still holds fast to God. This is the loyalty of a believer who declares, Oh God, you are my God, and who desires to know God better. And in this case, it is the faith of a believer who, when he has lost his nearness to God in the sanctuary, does not rest until his soul is satisfied there. So even in the wilderness, he can say that he's firmly united to God with the strongest affection. David knew that God and God alone was the one who was able to satisfy the deep longings of his soul. And he remembers, he meditates, he finds satisfaction. Are you longing for God? Are we longing for God? Are we finding satisfaction in God's love? And lastly, are we finding protection in God? While in the wilderness. So, read verses 9 to 11. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Did you notice that the dramatic change in tone in these final verses? David goes from longing for God and from finding satisfaction in desiring God, and now he's longing to find protection in God. And these verses are actually, it's a prophetic passage that speaks about the coming destruction of the enemies of the people of God. And this is the reality. The reality is that we do have an enemy. And he's the devil, who is like the roaring lion seeking Someone he may devour. And the devil is a liar. He's the father of lies. And that is why David says that the mouth of liars will be stopped. He's a murderer from the beginning, Jesus says. He comes to steal and kill and destroy. And that is what the devil is trying to do and has been doing since the beginning of time. He wants to destroy the people of God. We are at war with the devil. No, I forgot who said this, but... Which pastor? But we as Christians, he said... We as Christians, we are not on a cruise ship on the way to the promised land, on the way to the celestial city. We're on a battleship. We are on a battleship. And we know from the beginning of time, from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20, that God's people, the seed of the woman, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, has always been at war with the seed of the serpent, who is the devil. From Genesis 3 to Revelation 20, we see the conflict between the two seeds. And these final verses in this psalm reminds us of the reality of this conflict. These final verses remind us of the trials and the tribulations that we are going to endure as Christians. These final verses remind us of the times we are going to be in the wilderness. It describes the reality of the Christian life. Listen to these words of James Boyce these final verses reminds us that this is a real world after all and that if we are to be genuinely satisfied with God's love it must not be in some never never land I don't know is that Peter Pan but right here in the midst of this world's disappointments, frustrations and dangers but you know what is the comfort that we don't have to be in despair because even in the midst of this world's disappointments, frustrations, and dangers. God has made a promise to his people. Back in Genesis 3, God promised Adam and Eve that the seed of the woman, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, would crush the head of the serpent who is the devil. And that is what Christ did. He won the war. The battle has already been won. Christ has conquered all his enemies. Revelation says that we are more than conquerors. And David knew this, and he experienced this truth in his life. That's why he can confidently say in the last verse, verse 11, But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Since David has found satisfaction in God's love and he's clinging to God and he's trusting in God's love for him, he has confidence that God will subdue all his enemies. And meditating on God's love actually gives David confidence for the future and he can rejoice in God. Even remember of Christ that says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and with the same confidence of the future glory that awaits us, that we can pray, that we can long for God, that we can desire God. And I finish with these words from uh, Charles Spurgeon. He, David, carefully made his worship suitable to his circumstances and presented to his God a wilderness hymn when he was in the wilderness There was no desert in his heart, though there was a desert around him. We too may expect to be cast into rough places in such seasons. May the eternal comforter, the eternal comforter abide with us and causes us to bless the Lord at all times, making even the solitary place to become a temple for Jehovah. Dear friends... What a beautiful song. What a beautiful meditation. What a beautiful longing. What a beautiful satisfaction. at God's love for us, knowing that He is our Savior, our Redeemer, our Protector, and we can trust in Him. We can trust in His sovereign plan. We can trust in His mighty power beholding his power, and his glory. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, our soul thirsts for you, our flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. How excellent is your steadfast love and your faithfulness towards us, your people, the sheep of your pasture. Father, and we pray that through the work of the Spirit in our hearts, that you stir up our hearts, and may we have this deep longing for you, knowing that our thirst and our hunger can only be quenched in having communion with you. We give you thanks for your promises. We give you thanks for your covenant faithfulness, for your covenant love, that we are your people, that in love you predestined us for adoption to yourself as sons through Jesus Christ. And we praise and we magnify your name and we exalt your name above every other name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.